live. What's up, everybody? It's another episode of America's Hometown Horror. And again, tonight's episode is brought to you by Clark's. Pairs of shoes that I actually own and wear pretty frequently. Clark's story, in case you haven't heard it, began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. Very interesting. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that's remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what sets Clark what sets Clark's apart. Uh, America's Hometown Horror is teaming up with Clark's and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including the iconic Clark's Desert Boot, which again, I own myself. Just go on uh, to podgo.co, that's podgo.co slash Clark's, that's podgo.co slash Clark's, and get up to 30% off on select pairs of shoes, including the iconic Clark's Desert Boots. And away we go, folks. Normally, this is the part where you would hear some music or some sort of sound effect, but uh, testing out the live stream tonight, so we don't have a way of inserting that, but uh, my name is Mike. Thanks for tuning into the first ever live episode that we've done of America's Hometown Horror. Hopefully, you're out there watching on YouTube or Facebook, and uh, as always, I'm not alone here. I am joined by my co-hosts. I got a couple of people here with me uh, to start off, my normal co-hosts, Kat and Andrew. What's going on, you two? Hey. Give everybody a nice wave. <laughs> might be the first time that people have seen some of our faces out there live like, <laughs> live. a face with a voice you know exactly exactly and you obviously know that sometimes we have guests on and you can see one of those guests right now it's our good buddy shano from you're not listening a music podcast thanks for coming on pal what's going Yay. on what's up, guys thanks for having me super excited. yeah no happy to super have you man talk about support haven't talked I about horn in a while. i know it's definitely uh i know your show is definitely a little bit uh, different than what we do, which is, uh, you know, a, a very a, an awesome music podcast that I listen to. But uh, for those who might not know, why don't you tell us a little bit about You're Not Listening and some of the stuff that you guys cover? Sure. So You're Not Listening is a music podcast. We talk about specific songs. So the basic story behind it is I was raised by a DJ. My dad was a mobile DJ my whole life, and he knows music really well, and he forced music down our throats um and it was growing up it was always hey have you heard this song let me tell you why this song's awesome let's talk about it and let me let me talk about you know you, you think you don't like this song but let me tell you why i do these are the little things that i notice. and we would have these really long kind of involved conversations and one day i was like you know this this is this is what i do like podcasting is is my job i'm producer editor consultant host and uh so i said dad we should be recording these conversations and he said nah, no one wants to hear that but um you'd be surprised you know i think it's i think we have some pretty interesting conversations so what we do is every episode i bring a song to the table my dad brings a song to the table we listen to it together and then we just talk about it and we go through the song and talk about what makes it great and any personal stories we have with it um and just kind of you know just break it down and we've gotten some really interesting stuff in there we do all genres classical Rock and roll, hip hop, pops, all kinds of stuff. Anything that we can think of. I like to bring cheesy songs in and talk about why they became so popular. Because I think a lot of people dismiss some of the really songs that we call it deep in the cheese. Songs that are deep in the cheese. <laughs> so, um, that's that's uh, that's our show. I also have another show um, that's won't be too interesting to your listeners here, but it's uh, it's about seafood industry. It's it's very industry forward, um, but it's called Aquademia, the Seafood and Sustainability Podcast. So that's my other show. Nice. While I have the the platform. 
Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll give you a bunch of chances to plug away, my friend. So no need to uh, be shy there. But yeah, one of the things I really like about listening to your show is, you know, you obviously having a background in music, you kind of look at songs a different way than I do. So it's interesting to hear somebody kind of break that stuff down in a way that I would have never really thought. And uh, I have to say as well, I think it's pretty cool that you do a show with your dad. Um, my dad has been clamoring to come on for the last couple of weeks, but some scheduling conflicts have prevented that. But uh, dad, if you're out there, we will have you on soon. So that'll be happening. But that's a pretty cool little touch that you guys have. It's a good dynamic between the two of you. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, he's known me my whole life and I've known him my whole life. So <laughs> Fair we know point. Each other pretty well. Yep. Definitely safe to say. Definitely safe to say. So, all right. So, uh, again, you're not listening in Aquademia, Shauna's two podcasts. Go give them a listen. Go check them out. Go follow them on all the social media platforms, which we'll let you plug at the end of the show as well. But uh, to kind of transition a little bit into horror and why we're here tonight. So, uh, Shauna, just to kind of give us a baseline for our listeners here. So, you know, just to give some examples of your particular tastes in horror, okay? So, if you could give me your top three horror movies of all time, what would you think they would be? I think okay. I have a hunch as to what some of them would yeah, be. I was going to ask me and the three of us, I, I, for those who don't know, I used to live with Kat and Mike was over all the time. So I want to see if you can guess a couple of them before I, before I let you know. Kat, go ahead. Evil Dead. Okay. That would have been my first guess. I would have also said Alien too. All right. So I got, I got them lined up. So my, my top is the Alien franchise. Nice. Oh, wait, I got Covenant there too. Um, and my second is the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. And then my, my third um, is going to be American Werewolf in London. Nice. Movie. It has a very special place in my heart. And then I had a couple. Um, I know you asked for three, but I had a couple honorable mentions. You can name as many as you want, my friend. Always, these are the ones that I kind of always go back to is Insidious and Trick or Treat. Nice. Kind of I love head. all those movies. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we uh, we we we've covered American Werewolf in London, Trick or Treat, and I, know, uh, I was bummed done... when I found out you did American Werewolf. I was like, I want to do that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely a good episode to do. Lots to talk about with that with that movie. So I'll never forget where I was when that boo scare and Insidious with the uh, what's the the guy the, that, uh, face the lipstick demon. face demon. Yeah. Oh my God, we were in Quincy, right? Like probably one of the right? best, most effective jump scares in the last decade. For sure. That was terrifying. That scared the shit out of me. So I remember scary. when we were too, Cat. We were sitting, we were watching it, and we, our backs were to a window. And I just like, I remember that happened that I had to like turn around to make sure there was nothing behind me. I was, I was terrified. That was awful. Yeah. Very effective jump scare. Very effective jump scare. Well, the music, uh, music had a big part of that, and, I, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So those are your favorite horror movies. What's the most recent horror movie that you've watched? Most recent horror movie, I had to write it down because I, I couldn't remember what it was called. The most <laughs> recent horror movie that I watched was Ge Gehenna. Gehenna. Okay. Where it's called Gehenna, where death lives. It um, was not great. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've never heard of that one before. It's one of those movies where, you know, oh, horror movies are easy to make. Good horror movies are hard to make, you know, like this interesting concept but the script was a little all over the place and the characters tried a little too hard the actor tried a little too hard so yeah i wasn't crazy about it there was some weird time travel kind of stuff that was didn't really work that great i think that was kind of the the big surprise at the end was there's like this time loop or something and yeah it, 
it was it, it wasn't great. Okay, where'd you uh, find that not one? A high recommendation from me. Fair enough. Okay, and then I guess this this kind of might even you might have already talked about this particular movie when you're mentioning some of your favorites. But what is the scariest movie that you, Shano, have ever seen, my friend? Okay, so I knew you were going to ask this too. Um, the the scariest movie when we say the scariest movie for me, it really has to do with when I watched it and like what movies scared me the most when I when I first watched them. And I think the scariest the movies that scared me the most were Cujo, Salem's Lot, and The Ring. But the most recent movie that actually scared me and made me need to watch a little Family Guy before I went to bed was uh, The Babadook. The Babadook is horrifying. That movie's so scary. Yeah, I watched that one. It was like Sam was out at class or something at night, watched it at night, went to bed right after, laid in the dark for a few minutes and was like, I think I'm going to watch some (laughs) cartoons before I go to sleep. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a few movies you watch. I, like for us, it's you gonna throw on some Always Sunny in Philadelphia or Family Guy yeah. or you know yeah, Letter Kenny or something. Yeah, for sure. And I know I know Cat can relate to you on The Ring there too. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I watched The Ring. Uh, I think I was in middle school, and uh, we had to stop it, take a break. And... <laughs> I remember I, I own The Ring on VHS, and I remember that was like the scariest thing ever because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even own it on DVD. I actually have like the videotape of it. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Anything you want on VHS, that's definitely like a, that's a classic. You got to hold on to those. Those are going to come back in style and, uh, you know, be worth something someday. Retro VHS tapes. <laughs> all right, cool. Good stuff, you guys. Good stuff. All right. So uh, we'll uh, we'll keep moving on. Thanks for all that, Shano. You guys want to get into some, uh, some uh, other stuff before we hop into what we're here to talk about tonight? I'm sure Kat's eager to get into the news. Well, the news we should get through pretty quick. It's not it's not a ton, but I guess, you know, so as I kind of mentioned, you know, um, so generally we kind of cover some stuff that we've watched over the last, you know, however long between when we last recorded. So, you know, just a couple of things that popped into my mind off the top, top of my head is that uh, Kat had... Kat and I kind of had a little bit of a, of a true crime binge over the last week. And we, uh, we went through, and I think in a matter of about two days, uh, it looks like we lost Shano here. Hopefully he can jump back on in a second. Where are you, Marco? Hello. I think he'll probably jump back on, but yeah, Kat, we had a chance to do the, uh, we had had a chance to do the Elisa lamb, the Cecil hotel documentary on Netflix. And we also got around to the night stalker documentary on Netflix that Andrew, I know you've recommended pretty highly. Oh yeah. That was, yeah. So, so Kat, I guess, you know, I think we both liked them a a pretty good deal. Uh, did you have a, a preference of which one you liked better out of the two? And I guess it just, you know, give your thoughts on the two of them. Ooh, um, preference. So I don't know. I, I guess I think I liked the Cecil hotel a little bit better. I don't know though, because they're both really good. Um, honestly though, I had no idea that all of that was based on, um, American horror story season, um, hotel was based on the Cecil hotel, which is kind of cool. I had no idea, but I feel like watching that documentary just made me like cringe. But also watching yeah. Night Stalker made me cringe too. So like, kind of torn there with which one was better or worse. Um, but neither one of them I really had any idea about before we watched it. I kind of went in totally blind, which was, it was nice for me. Cause then I just kind of learned all this information. And then I was like, hey, I watched this documentary on the Cecil Hotel and people were like, well, what's that? And then I'm like, oh, and then I watched the Night Stalker. But a lot more people knew about the Night Stalker documentary and all of that serial killing 
more so than when I mentioned the seasonal hotel. So yeah, I, I thought both of them were awesome. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the Cecil Hotel one was... Is it Cecil? I, I mean, or Cecil? Cecil, Cecil, one of the two. And I, I think we got Shano back. Are you out there, bud? Oh. Nope. Uh-oh. I think he's having some technical difficulties. Oh, he said his internet crashed. He'll be hopping back on in a second. But yeah, Cecil, Cecil, one of the two, whichever it is. I, I mean, I knew a little bit about the, the Elisa Lamb situation, you know, going into watching that documentary. And I feel like I was still blown away at how much new information. Like I had no idea about where it was actually located on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I feel like that kind of played a huge part in the story. And, you know, I, I think while it was a little, it, like it probably could have been an episode or two shorter. They didn't need to make it four episodes, but I, I was intrigued the entire time. And, and the Night Stalker documentary was just, this is just one of the most evil people on the fucking planet. Richard Ramirez, just an absolute absolute monster in every sense of the word and uh you know he ultimately got what he deserved and actually got got off a little bit easy because he died of cancer after only i think what, however many years in jail he wasn't in there for that long so but yeah i would highly recommend checking out the night stalker documentary i think it's just called night stalker and then also it's the vanishing at the cecil hotel if uh both of them both of them awesome and actually, so one of our one of our listeners both just uh, made an excellent point and uh, yeah shauna we got you back here right we, can you hear us Uh, I'm, I, <laughs> my internet crashed and I'm oh, on okay. my Wi-Fi hotspot right now and it's not very good. Oh, okay. Can, are you able that. to, you able to hear us though? Okay. Uh, it's a little jumbly. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. No problem. Sorry for the technical difficulty, try, folks. See if, maybe I can turn my camera off. No. Okay. Maybe not. Well, while you're, while you're working on that, so uh, thank you, Jason, in the comments here for, for bringing up an excellent point. There's actually a, a pretty morbid link between the two, uh, those two Netflix documentaries that we were talking about, between the, the Cecil Hotel one and also the Night Stalkers that Richard Ramirez is actually living at the Cecil Hotel for a long time, far too long. And he was actually, you know, after he was killing these people, committing these crimes, he was coming back to the Cecil Hotel covered in blood to walk back up to his room and, and nobody had any issue with this. Just kind of let him do it, which is just makes it so much more messed up. Um, but yeah, obviously a pretty macabre link between the two. Uh, between the, two. the same footage from uh, both documentaries. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Andrew, did you have any thoughts on Night Stalker? I know you watched that one. Did you get, did you get around to uh, Cecil Hotel yet? I haven't watched Cecil Hotel yet. I just assume it's Cecil because Cecil Fielder. Cecil Fielder, yeah. <laughs> where my mind goes with that. Um, Night Stalker, I love that. Um, it did teach me one thing. If you're going to murder a lot of people, you should probably change your shoes every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe don't wear that, that pair of Asics that they can they can track back to like where. That was insane that they were able to do that. Yeah, but it still took them so long to figure it out. And I was like. Yeah. Amazing. Like definitely, a little. I think he would have slipped up a little bit more than he did, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that he didn't slip up sooner. But you know, obviously, the, the, I think the story in that that particular documentary is about the two cops that were partnered up trying to hunt this killer down, and you can just see the toll that the case took on them. So, yeah, I thought they were they were both excellent and uh, and worth checking out, no doubt about it. So you can find both those on uh, on Netflix for any of those that are wondering if you haven't watched them yet. All right. So we are back and uh, you guys ready to get into some news? Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, cats for real. Say, don't all leap at once. This will be quick, I promise. And then we'll we'll jump into our topic tonight. But a couple couple relevant things that popped up. So uh, we've talked kind of at length, and we actually did an episode on Creepshow the movie, but also there's the Creepshow TV series that's exclusive to Shudder, uh, which is the horror streaming service that I would recommend. Uh, so we have an announcement on when you can get the second season of Creepshow. It's dropping on April 1st. No joke there. It actually is premiering on April 1st. You got a trailer that showed some uh, all kinds of crazy creatures and looks like some twisted stories. You have giant spiders in there, some aquatic monsters, zombies, various other stuff. Looks like they have a much bigger budget for this season. And I uh, got some pretty heavy guest stars uh, for this season, including Keith David from The Thing and Barbara Crampton from Reanimator and various other horror movies. And uh, this show was unfortunately in the news recently. Uh, so it's come to light over the last, I'd say, probably two or three weeks that Marilyn Manson uh, is not not a great guy and uh, is, is a pretty big scumbag. And he was actually supposed to star in an episode of this new season of Creepshow that was uh, starring him and Molly Ringwald. And they actually cut the episode from the season, obviously, given the allegations that have come to light uh, against him. So... I don't think that episode will ever see the light of day. But, uh, you know, obviously, Sean, I ask you, do you have Shudder? And have you ever seen Creepshow, the TV series? I don't have Shudder. Uh, I love the movie. Okay. But uh, no, I don't, As do I, don't I. Have, I don't have Shudder. I, I've, I've been really interested in I've heard a lot of good things about a discovery of witches on Shudder. Yeah, that pops know. up in the, in the feed there all the time. But I've never actually watched that. I've heard good things about it. But, you know, I don't I have. Every other subscription service, I can't afford to pay for one more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, everything's streaming now. Now you have Discovery Plus, and there's you know the Paramount one that they they advertised the shit out of during the Super Bowl with you know all those commercials that eventually led to uh, led to the them everyone ending up at the top of Paramount Mountain, which was actually kind of cool commercials. But uh, but yeah, so Cat Andrew, I know we've watched a few episodes of the Creepshow TV series. In for more Creepshow TV. Uh, Yes. Yay. Nay. Thumbs up. Yay. I wasn't a hundred percent like into the show on Shutter, but eventually, you know, I'll probably find one or two that I like. Well, I liked it. I thought it was all. Right. Is it like the movie? Is it like similar to the movie? Yeah. Kind of the feel, the, the that kind of campy feel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very reminiscent of like EC horror comics, Tales from the Crypt, that type of thing. But they nice. brought the creep back. It's a nice, nice looking animatronic creep, and there's. You know, lots of uh, lots of crazy stories in there. Kat, I know you were a really big fan of the uh, of the Christmas episode. Yeah, I loved the Christmas episode. I yeah. watched it like three times because I even tried to watch it with Andrew one time, and Andrew was like, "Nah." <laughs> I don't even remember this. Yeah, see, exactly. That's why you're like, "Nah." Hey, you can't <laughs> remember. Everything. I can't remember everything, but yeah. So, uh, Creep Show season two coming April first. If you have Shutter, I'd recommend go checking it out. Next news topic, uh, one of the most interesting directors working today has come out with some awesome films. That would be Edgar Wright, who is famous for Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and the upcoming horror film Last Night in Soho. And uh, let the Stephen King renaissance continue, my friends. Uh, Edgar Wright is directing a reboot of The Running Man that is going to be coming out, uh, I think, at some point in 2022. And obviously there was the... Is that, is that going to be funny? Is it going to be I'm sure it's going to have some humor. Uh, it's actually one of like a it's uh, so King wrote this under one of his pseudonyms, Richard Bachman. I actually never read the book, but I feel like oh, given the, the tone 
uh, it probably will have some uh, some comedy elements in there. And I feel like he's if, if there is going to be that type of vibe, Edgar Wright's a pretty good director to uh, to kind of tap into that. What do you think, Shano? So, so the tone of that of the, the Arnold movie um, is is a lot. It's a lot more silly. And the story is a, a little different. Um, you know, in the in the book, he goes all over the world. He travels. He, he's constantly on the run. It's not like he's in like a small area that that uh, they're coming after him so I, I feel like it would be really good as a longer running series um but you know i i, I hope he kind of goes with this the storyline from the book a little bit more and gets a, it, as much as i love to see like the opera singer killer guy come after him you know I, I i think i'd like to uh to see him stick to the book a little bit more but i also think that the world's end is one of the greatest movies ever made so if he goes down that road i'll be happy with it as well I love that movie. That's a, that's yeah. that's an underrated Edgar Wright movie. Yeah. What, any any of the any of the the the, the co- uh, collaborations he's done with uh, with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are all phenomenal. So you, you can't really you, there's not there's not a there's not a miss in there. But yeah, I'd, I'd be excited to check this one out. Andrew, Cat, what about you guys? Oh, I would definitely watch this, like hundred percent. Because like you said, the Simon Pegg. Did you watch the uh, TV show? We were talking about it not too long ago with. Uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. What was it called? Oh, uh, Truth Seekers. Yes, that was really good. So I actually haven't watched that yet, but it is on my list. Um, and I did see, unfortunately, that it did get canceled after the first season. I thought it was good. Seth turned me on to that, and I watched it in like two days. And um, yeah, it's silly, fun, but it's serious. You know, got that kind of culty feel to it still. Okay. You know, conspiracy theory is all their other stuff does. So yeah, it was really good, but that's kind of cool. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I yeah I'll have to give that one a shot. I think, well, with, so Kat and I finally made the decision to uh, try and, and, and finish The Haunting of Bly Manor. Not because we didn't think it was good. We just, we just kind of had a lot of other stuff crop up. And we never had a chance to finish it. And we're almost done with it now. And I, it did. So some of the criticisms that it did take a little bit longer to get going than season one, I, I agree with, but I, I don't, I don't think it's bad. I actually, I actually kind of like it. It's, it's picking up a little bit. Yeah, but like the fifth episode is picking up. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, hey, they, they, Mike, Mike Flanagan stuff is very reliant on trying to establish characters and mood. And I think that they they definitely took their time doing that with Haunting of Bly Manor. But yeah, interested to see how it ends. Yeah, it looks promising. Yeah. I like Hill House a lot better than Bly Manor. but Yeah, I see. I loved Hill House. Hill House was, was phenomenal. And this one is, is good. It's good. Yeah. So. All right, last news item, guys. We were kind of talking about Ari Aster a little bit before we hopped on here live, but we do have a name, a star, uh, and a a title for the new Ari Aster movie that is going to be distributed again by A24. It's going to be called Disappointment Boulevard, and it's going to star Joaquin Phoenix. Ooh, I love him. Yeah. (laughs) So this has all sorts of interesting potential, and Ari Aster, if you're not familiar with his work, he has done... Hereditary and Midsommar, two of the most uh, well-regarded or highly regarded, I should say, horror films to be released, I'd say, probably in the last five years. Uh, Midsommar came out more recently. I prefer Hereditary, but I uh, do need to give Midsommar another chance. I think uh, all three of us do. Shano, I know you're a big fan of Midsommar, as you mentioned before, but uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So Ari Aster, definitely a hot horror director out there, up and coming, has a definite, uh, you know, a feel to his movies. So this sounds like it's going to be much of the same, but not a lot of details. The, the only description of the plot that's out there so far is that it's an intimate, decades-spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. So I ask you folks, and Shauna, I'll start with you. Are you in or out on this? I'm sure it'll be gloomy and depressing and violent yep and probably really good <laughs> yeah so, i yeah, agree i'm in i'm in well said i'll see Mr. you Andrew. when i get a chance oh i'm yes. I mean, odds are like shano just said you'll probably need a shower after you watch this movie just to get <laughs> off anything with joaquin phoenix or joaquin 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 um yeah, I'm definitely in on this movie. I would, even though Midsommar left a bitter taste in my mouth, I'd still want to see this. So, cool, Catherine. What about you? Oh, I'm all in with Joaquin. Yeah, Joaquin. <laughs> you know, Joaquin down the well, road. Well, I don't think I really have a choice because if you want to watch it, I'm watching it. So that's kind of <laughs> like how it happens. Of I end up watching it anyway. So yeah. <laughs> and then another county heard from so this might pop up from time to time if you've listened to our show you know otis is extremely loud so he may he may come in and out from time to time but uh all right cool Catherine. you might you'll be excited to hear that that's it for the news which means we are on to tonight's topic which i'm super excited to talk about i, I, I can't believe slight news item mike that you yeah go ahead sorry there is um i think there's going to be a new um anthology horror series by jj abrams and stephen king coming out possibly at some point on apple tv i just saw an article today about that there isn't okay much leaked on it but i'm like that's kind of a cool collaboration they've collaborated before on a bunch of stuff so yeah i was gonna say they they were uh in cahoots with castle rock castle rock and then they yeah. did that other one um with james franco in it um like the time travel one. oh yeah uh 1963 i think it's called yeah, it's like 11 something yeah yeah Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, like the actual that. date of when JFK was assassinated, right? Yeah. Yeah, that day. So, cool. Yeah, that was a cool one. So. Yeah, I mean, every I feel like every day there's more news of, of, of another Stephen King adaptation. So, But again, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as they're well-made. So I, I'm all in on the new Stephen King adaptations. So bring them on. But thanks for that, Andrew. That one slipped by me, so I appreciate you chiming in there. But... Uh, but yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about uh, horror movie scores and soundtracks, which is a, a topic that I'm, I'm very excited to kind of get into here. And, you know, obviously this is a, uh, I think, a perfect topic to, to discuss with Shano, obviously, given the nature of his shows and, you know, his experience with music. So I think this is going to be a really fun one. And I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, excited to kind of, because I feel like this is a way to kind of talk about a bunch of different movies, maybe some TV shows. And, uh, you know, we've, we do cover music from time to time in some of our deep dives into movies, but we've never focused specifically on music for an entire episode. So, you know, I, I think music is an essential part of horror movies. Um, it can add tension. It can build dread. It can be used for jump scares, like the scene in Insidious that we mentioned earlier in the episode. And it can certainly be the difference in the way a particular scene is perceived by the audience. So I... You know, when I mentioned something like that, a, a movie that kind of came to me when I was thinking about this earlier was a movie like Get Out, right? So Get Out is uh, definitely a horror movie, but has a lot of comedy in it, a lot of comedic elements, and it's funny as hell. 
And I feel like there are certain scenes in the movie where if that ominous score hadn't really been present in Get Out, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know that you were watching something that was horror related, but you know, you know, some of the music that's going on when it shows uh, Chris and his girlfriend driving uh, to go meet the girlfriend's parents. I forget her name, Allison Williams character, but you know, this isn't some leisurely trip for this guy meeting his girlfriend's parents for the first time, you know, there's something dreadful coming. And I think that that's one of the, that's one of the ways that music can kind of make or break a scene in a horror movie. So that was one that kind of popped into my mind when thinking about that. So I ask you all and Shano, I will start with you, my friend, since you are our guest, does a movie need music to be scary? Does it need music to be scary? Um, yes. Well, I think there's a, there's a place for music, and if you do it right, then it can make it scary. Um, but I also think that there's a place for silence, and that can be just as effective, if not more effective, than having music in the background. You know, there's the thing with horror movies is music is used to let you know, at least with American horror movies, Japanese horror movies use very little music. They kind of just let the visuals and the, the you know, visceral things that are happening on the screen take you for the ride. But in American horror movies, it's like they're very big on using like musical cues. So, you know, something scary is going to happen. You know, it's not so much this is scary right now, but it's coming because you're hearing those low rumbles and you're hearing the low, uh, you know, the the ominous tones that with no key signatures and you know, there's no structure or anything. It's just kind of building something and you know that something's coming. So I think it's plays a really key role. I don't think it's absolutely necessary to make it scary. And if you want examples of that, watch some uh, Japanese. I think martyrs is one of those ones that doesn't have much music, if any. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you there. I think it definitely can help, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary. So I was just trying to think of movies that, that a horror movie that doesn't have music. So, and I can actually, so I recently watched The Blair Witch Project. Very scary movie, not a piece of music in the entire thing. And actually not a lot of music in most found footage horror movies. So, you know, I think Blair yeah. Witch Project is yeah. is a movie that scared me on a visceral level the first time I saw it with, you know, very creepy sound is used incredibly effectively, but uh, music, not so much. So uh, Kat, what about you? Do you think sure. a, uh, think a movie needs music to be scary or do you think it just helps? Um, I think that you need music. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I get Shano's point, <clears throat> um, but I also think that music changes like the entire feel of a movie um, I was a music minor in college. I, in high school, I, I, you know, did this whole paper because I was missing some stupid, anyway, I'll cut to the chase. Um, <laughs> I did a, I did like this paper on physical effects that music can do to your body. And they even, one of the things that I researched was that music can have an effect, just like the same type of adrenaline as a cup of coffee. So it can have that kind of a powerful effect on you that, you might not have with silence, but I do agree with Shano that silence can be just as deafening, if you will, um, that it can create the same kind of buildup, even in like, I know we'll, we'll get to other like more specific examples later, but like kind of taking a break and having silence and then having music after it, following it up, I think is way more effective than just silence for the entire movie. But I mean, as you just mentioned too, at the Blair Witch Project, like there's no music. And it was so funny because the minute that you, I saw this in the outline earlier, 
I was like, oh, well, what about like a quiet place? Because there's not a lot of, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Nope, there's a soundtrack to that. They, yeah, I was going to say, I think that one does, it's very, very yeah. little sound, but it does have some music, I, I think. At yeah, least. It does. It's one of those ones that uses those kind of just low tones to kind of just have something constant going in the background. And, it, and what they do is they use really low tones because, you know, the human brain is, is your lizard brain is designed to think, okay, high pitch things, small, not scary. Low pitch things, big, dangerous, stay away from it, right? So you're getting these really low tones that aren't in any specific key. The notes don't really match up. So you get this, this kind of clashing. It just feels unnatural and it kind of, it makes you feel uneasy. And so yeah. in a lot of horror movies, you're especially during quiet scenes, you're going to see a lot of that. Just, it's not music. You can't really call it music. It's just these low notes that are kind of floating in the atmosphere that are going to make you feel a little bit uneasy. They're going to make you feel that anxiety as it builds up into, you know, the big scare or the, or the, the cat scare, you know? Yeah. And I was, I had whole notes. I had, I had in my notes, uh, the whole, you know, getting into music theory and like consonants and dissonance and the way that things mm -hmm. resolve back together. And I was like, I should not go into that much depth in this podcast because it's well, like, I have, I have all, I, I'm right there with you, Kat. I got a whole page of notes on, on that. Kind I know. Of stuff. I was like, just in, hey, just in case, and just in case you, it comes up. you certainly, you certainly can feel free to go off on a tangent. That's far outside my realm of expertise. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, Andrew, what about you? Your thoughts, my friend? Um, I think in general, you do need music in a horror movie to make it scarier or build that dread and that sense of just you know dread and it's, it makes you feel uncomfortable disturbed um like you said though too most found footage movies don't have it like creep there's really no um music in that yeah creep definitely creep definitely doesn't you expect it in those type of movies so you're not really looking for it but i think that what sets apart the best horror movies is that score from, you know, the music. It makes a huge difference. Like if you could just, it, it just, if it has bad music, it just feels like a cheesy movie. Whereas if it has just even, it doesn't even have to be like that great of music, just those atonal notes that Kat loves so much. And um... <laughs> did my whole thesis on atonality. So. <laughs> Did my whole thesis on it. No, you were talking about that <laughs> restaurant, and I want to go to that restaurant last night. Oh man, yeah. Start that. I would love yeah. to go to that psychopath atonal restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Shana was that was right around the time I was living in Weymouth, so I was like crazy grad school, like building weird things, and yeah, yeah it was I right remember, around. I do time. remember that actually. Yeah. <laughs> You lived in the right. If you were doing a, anything on music, you lived in the right house because I think everyone in that house except Minnie was a musician. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I felt like a fish out of water in there. You, that was a very musically inclined house, definitely. Between you, Sully, and Oz. Yeah. So, all right, cool, good stuff, you guys. Uh, I'll ask you this, Sean. I'll start with you again, and we'll just kind of keep that same rotation going. But is there a movie or a TV show where the music uh, kind of grabbed you before the plot did? Like the music was the thing that stuck out to you the most. Uh, oh, I think so. I have a list of like legendary or iconic scores, and that kind of leads into that. Like, I think a really good example of a movie that does that is The Shining. Yeah, uh, with the opening scene with the car, you know, the the helicopter shot. Yeah, driving up the mountain, and you just hear that bomb, bomb, bomb. Like, the, yeah, whatever. that main title theme in The Shining is is one of the one and of the that's best. That's the only like. There's not a lot of music in that movie either. I don't think. 
Well, so when I was looking up, so I I, I wrote down some stuff for The Shining just because I, I think the music in it is it's it's minimal, but it's incredibly effective. It is effective for sure. Yeah. So and so there were actually only two pieces of music that were written for The Shining, and Kubrick opted to use a lot of classical music from composers instead of having an entire new score written. So, but the exception. Uh, to the rule there being the main title theme, uh, which is just called the main title theme for The Shining. And then in addition to that, there was a uh, another song written called Rocky Mountains. Uh, so it was written by Wendy Carlos. Both those songs were written by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind. But yeah, I agree. Like the that opening that opening montage over the the credits of The Shining is it just it it does such a good job of setting the tone and the mood for that movie. It has that sweeping synthy ominous feel with like those like screeching like low-pitched almost like chattering voices and it yeah. just makes the opening of the shining that much more terrifying so that's yeah, that's a good it, one i'm glad i'm glad you. you brought that up it grabs you for sure yeah so one that i kind of it's not a movie but one that one that i thought of where just i the music was the first thing that stuck out to me and andrew you, this will be no surprise to you i mean who, who who the fuck would i be kidding here if i didn't bring up stranger things mm. but i mean I, I mean, Stranger Things got a little bit of promotion from Netflix. Obviously, it's probably the biggest show they do now. But, um, you know, I can remember vividly watching Stranger Things for the first time and being like, OK, like this is pretty good. But then those opening titles hit with that's with that music. And then there's that scene where the kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons and they're riding home on their bikes. And there's this piece of music called Kids. Everything's written by uh, Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, who are from the electronic band uh, survive. And I, I think the music is probably the most, cons I love stranger things, but I think the music is probably the most consistently excellent part of the show, but you know, it's just so like nostalgic to the, to the oh. movie of the eighties, you know, it gets me every time it gets me every time. And it captures like that blend of, I think like the, you know, the, the feel that stranger things is trying to invoke like that John Carpenter, Steven Spielberg, you know, uh, kind of feel sorry brain freeze there <laughs> it happens it's cold yeah yeah but uh yeah so i guess that was that was the one that i had cat what about you um i was gonna say halloween yeah um john carpenter did the music in that too which was kind of cool that he composed it and it's like those um like cattle prods like piercing keyboard like da -da -da, and all of a sudden it's like all of like you kind of look over your shoulder like oh what's that or what's this and where's Michael and like what's gonna happen next and there's kind of that like off kilter discord and like you just makes you feel uneasy like what we said earlier um, I thought that Halloween has definitely and even you know like the the beginning credits with the whole pumpkin and the do 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 like you know that that's Halloween and that's I mean even Mike that was your ringtone over like over the fall season i mean yeah every every october it's my ringtone yeah <laughs> the halloween song is so relentless too because it's that it's that do 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 it just doesn't stop it's going right. the entire time and it's so it's you, you it's the same feel they're they're using that to build up the feeling of being followed and that someone is constantly watching you and coming after you and following you because it's it's just non-stop and it, it, it's it works really well to build that anxiety yeah yeah, and I mean, pro probably the most iconic score in all of horror movies. I would say that, or 
maybe Jaws or a couple of other movies pop into my Psycho. mind that I'm sure the will. Power scene from Psycho. Yep, Psycho, say The Exorcist, but I don't want to step on anyone's toes if either any of those movies were anybody well, else's. Well, Exorcist, but, uh, I don't know if you guys know that the theme in Exorcist is actually called Tubular Bells. It's actually, it's just a song. It wasn't. I, I did know that, yeah. That is a 26-minute long song. Wow. And uh, it's like full of wacky synthesizers and weird sounds. And it gets it, it gets very 80s at one point. Um, definitely listen to it at some point if you have 26 minutes that you, you <laughs> can dedicate to actively listening to that song. It's really super interesting. And if you watch, there's a video of them performing it live on, on YouTube. Um, super interesting. But that's a, that's a song that was written by some some group. I don't know they're, who they're called, but. It's awesome. Um, it works perfectly for that. Like you, you can't picture that movie without that song, and you can't picture that hear that song without picturing that movie. They're so they're married so closely together, even though they began as separate things, which is pretty cool. Andrew, what about you, my friend? Did you have a, a movie or a TV show where the music was the first thing you noticed? Well, you took Stranger Things from me. Uh, <laughs> which sorry, you, I'm surprised you didn't mention it because there's nothing that invokes nightmares for me. It must be from when I was a kid and my dad would be watching and I could just hear it. And it was the haunting music of unsolved mysteries coming on. Oh, wow, that's a great one. There's something about the intro to that. It's just so good. It's something about Angela Lansbury and unsolved mysteries. So it's just it's <laughs> watch a horror movie. And then it's just like this woman couldn't find her dog. No, but it's, it's <laughs> That's a good one. Unsolved Mysteries is a great one. And also the X-Files too. The X-Files, that music, uh, right when it was on, I was pretty young. That that used to scare me big time because I remember my dad used to watch the X-Files for a period of time. So that was another one too. So can I can I talk a little bit about one other one? Actually, yeah. Kat, we'll, you'll appreciate this one, Kat. This is where we'll get a little nerdy. A little nice. Music nerdy. Um, so I want to I talk about um, Twilight Zone theme. Another great one. Right? That is one of the most like insanity inducing songs you could hear. It just drives you crazy. It makes you want to like chew your skin off, right? Yeah. So that was very specifically written that way. And it's it's pretty cool how they wrote it. So the main melody of that is actually a, a regular melody. It's, it's the same melody as you know that song Heathens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my friends are heathens. Take it. Yep. That's 21 pilots. Do, 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 do. It's the same melody. As a Twilight ah, good it's, 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 I never even noticed I, that before. Yeah, so I think that's in E major. Let's see, what is it? It's in E major. If you don't understand what that means, don't worry about it. Basically, what that means is if you're playing that melody, you can play any note in the E major scale, and it will work. It'll sound okay. They play a harmony note over it with every single note. They play one note that's a B minor which is not in that E major scale. And it creates this really bad dissonance. It's, it's like if somebody, if you're watching somebody play music and they play a wrong note and they just keep playing it over and over and over again, it's going to drive you absolutely nuts because it sounds so wrong and so off. But it's like they're not giving up on it. They're going to keep doing it until it sounds right and it's never going to sound right. And that's how that song was written. It's intentionally written with notes in different keys to just drive you nuts, get in your ear, and just like pick away at your brain until you start to go crazy. And it's perfect for a show like the Twilight Zone. So I found that super interesting. I think that's, that's really, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. I never, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I love the Twilight Zone. That's uh, an awesome show. And the music is obviously one of the most iconic parts about it. Probably yeah. that and Rod Serling's narration, but I never, I never knew that before. 
Um, tubular bells was Mike Oldfield that came in. Mike Oldfield, that's right. right. Is that your dad? That's his dad. Uh, your dad answered on Facebook. Yeah, my co-host. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Nice. What's up, Jim? Thanks for tuning in. Maybe we'll cover that right. song on our show sometime. Maybe that'll be a Patreon episode because it will be super Ooh. long. Three hours. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, all right. So I think we, we kind of have talked about a lot of different stuff uh, so far here, but you know, one of the things that we wanted to do here is just kind of go around the horn and just give a little synopsis about, you know, some of your favorite horror scores. We'll, we'll see if we can each do two, if, if, if time permits, obviously I don't want this to go too, too long. Uh, but with that being said, so yeah, yeah. Kat, I'll let you start with this one. I get to go first. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, I already mentioned Halloween. Um, I hate to take this from you, Mike. Well, I have a few. I have, I have, right. a, I have a list of a good number of them. So if you wanna, if you wanna go ahead, just like give us one, and we'll uh, we'll go to Andrew after that. Um, okay, Jaws. Yeah. So John Williams. Um, and the beautiful thing about Jaws is it's only two notes. It's dun 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 dun, and it just plays faster. That's like. The main theme of the song and it's just so creepy that you know that that you associate those two notes with the shark coming <laughs> it's like it's insane yeah. it's so simple Super but it's thought so he was joking yeah when he showed him that score when he said oh this is what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna play this and he just dude yep dude and he's like you kidding me and he was he, he he thought he was joking uh and it ended up working perfectly yeah so that that's my first that's my first round yeah, I mean, obviously an iconic score and will never not remind me of that giant shark and the movie that probably scared me the most out of any movie I've ever seen in my life and why I'm afraid of deep open water. So, yeah, and the, the music is obviously great in that. And there's obviously like, you know, there's the main title theme, but I'm thinking about like, so just like one scene pops in my head in particular, but like the scene when Hooper is down diving underneath the boat and the, the corpse of uh, Ben Gardner mm -hmm. pops out of the boat with one eye missing and he's all, you know, Perfect. gross and, and dead. And there's like some, there's a nice little piece of uh, shocking music right before that happens that it makes the jump scare even more effective. So yeah, Jaws is a great one. Good call, Catherine. That was on my list, but I, I figured that somebody else might take that. So I did come prepared with others. Way to take the softballs, Kat. <laughs> I, have, I have more obscure ones. I was ready to go like last because that's usually, I'm never, I never go first. I wanted you to, yeah, I wanted you to have the opportunity, so. Thanks. You're welcome. Andrew, your turn, my friend. So this is no particular order, right? We're just kind of Yeah. Just give us whatever one you feel like riffing on I to start with. I would be remiss if I didn't choose Phantasm. She's like, I can't stand that when we stop talking about it. But it's just so 80s and it's just it's just such a good uh I don't know what it is about it. Maybe I'm just obsessed with that movie and I should seek therapy, but <laughs> the soundtrack for that movie is so good like that it might be better than the actual movie itself so i'm not too sure but it's just i don't know what it is if you haven't seen phantasm i recommend watching it i don't and go listen to our episode that we did on phantasm phantasm i can't even like i don't even have like an explanation as to why i find that soundtrack so good i just it's just very upbeat and catchy and i don't know there's just something about it hey sometimes stuff just clicks with you so understandable I had a feeling that you might pick that one. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm sure Cat knew too. Well, yeah, because you pick it for everything. Like, who's your favorite villain? It's the guy from Phantasm. Like, the tall man. Who's your, the tall yeah, man. Like, I mean, come on. 
Get, get some variety going, will you? <laughs> hey, Phantasm Song. The man likes what he likes. You know, he's a man of particular tastes. He loves he loves him some Phantasm. Some Angus Scrim. Some silver ball. Jam session. Reggie jumps out of the ice cream chuck and just start playing that song with the two guitars. It's so good. Yeah, it is a good score. It is definitely the music in that was was definitely very good. I, I can remember that for sure. Mr. O'Laughlin, you got one for us? Yeah, I have a few trying to decide. I mean, some of the older movies had really good scores because they had a lot more presence. The music had a lot more presence back in like the the Universal Monster days and stuff like that. You know, the yeah. music was, and even back, especially movies like Nosferatu, silent films were driven by music. But I think the Hammer films had really good scores. Uh, they spent a lot of time writing the scores for those Hammer films, and and the the main villain theme for for the Dracula, the Hammer. I don't know if it's which Dracula film it is. That's One the the, the Christopher Lee Dracula, I think, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, there was a specific theme that they had every time he showed up on screen, and it's a really, really cool theme. It's very like once you start watching the movie, it's really recognizable. And I thought that's kind of cool, so I just want to call that one out. Old school. Awesome. What okay. about you, Michael? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take one here that I'm sure probably you guys had on your list at, at some point, but I, I feel like it is a movie where the the music is such a piece of the movie, and that's it follows. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, it follows is is a fantastic movie already, but the score, which was written by a guy named Disaster Piece, is you know it kind of does a good job of invoking that you know, that retro synthy eighties feel that they're going for, but it kind of takes that vibe, that John Carpenter ish vibe and takes it in a more modern direction. Um, and it was already, like I said, already an excellent scary premise for a movie uh, with a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, it's open for interpretation, a lot of the movie, but the, the music is consistently excellent. It just creates a vibe and it lends to that, you know, kind of grungy lived in suburban dystopia that the movie's going for, like just, you know, being stuck in the suburbs with this crazy creature chasing you around wherever you go. And I thought that the the music in that, uh, you know, gave the movie a whole other element, if you will. Have so you yeah, big fan one? of the It Follows soundtrack. Yeah, It Follows is actually one of the first movies that we did. I think it was our third episode. We did that one twice. Cool. Yeah, one. we had to we had to rest we had to restart that one. We uh we tried to record on New Year's Eve, and uh, let's just say that we we kind of we got a little too ahead of ourselves there. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. a couple of scorpion bowls, like thinking that's a good idea. Like, yeah, idea. <laughs> well, that and so that you know, going out getting Chinese food on New Year's Eve—that's what a lot of people do. But then, in addition to that coming back to our house and then watching the entire movie before recording while, you know, continuing to imbibe on new year's Eve doesn't necessarily lend to a product that many people uh, we felt would want to listen to. So yeah, we had to, we had to redo that one and for a bit at least. It was, it was an aggressive idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Hey, Hey, we were, uh, we were new at that point. So, you know, I think we've learned a few things, but uh, all right, Kat, you got another one for us? Yeah. 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 Um, actually. So one of my other ones, I don't know if it really counts as a horror movie or not. It was it was actually one of my picks for the um the draft of like not scary, I forget what the uh, non horror horror movies. Um, was Requiem for a Dream? Does that I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, go ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I I have told this. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty scary movie. <laughs> oh, it's very dark, very dark. I mean, it's not really a boo scare kind of traditional horror movie, but like the whole premise of it is is pretty terrifying. Um, I, so I actually I have this whole like Spotify playlist of top like um, top movie soundtracks or whatever, and one of their winter summer overtures, and it's very creepy. The whole thing is just very like. The whole song, the if you look up their soundtrack for this movie, every song is just like another creepy thing. It's very like do do like it's it's um Clint Clint Mansell and the Kronos Quartet Quartet. Um, they composed the whole soundtrack, and it's it's awesome. It's very creepy, very kind of like how um Shano said the like kind of rumbly bass, but then also has these kind of like higher notes above it they kind of create this layered feeling that makes you just feel really uneasy the entire time yeah, those those high screeching yeah drawn out string kind of thing yeah yeah cool. so that's that's my that would be my second one can i do a bonus one <laughs> sure let's cover let's let's do everyone else first and then we can do okay. a few because we have i think we can we have a few more here that we can do so all right, all right andrew what else you got my friend so I was torn on my second choice. Um, it was either going to be Sinister or Hellraiser. And interesting enough, it was the same guy that did both. Uh, Christopher oh, cool. Young was the composer for both of those. But I ended up going with Hellraiser just because it's it's just so haunting and orchestral. Is that the word? Did I make that up? Is that a word? No, that's a word. That is. Okay. And it just it just builds up throughout. Like it's very thematic and almost lyrical in its the music that comes with it, and it builds up to every scene. So I really like that part of it. And then um, sinister in the same aspect, it was the fact that you know. See, I just threw my bonus one in here without even asking. Ooh, <laughs> Andrew. That's how, that's how you roll, so it's okay. Yeah, no worries. Um, but it was mostly the um, during like the snuff films, like the creepy just weird it wasn't even music it was just like noises and sounds and just made me feel very uncomfortable like if there's if there's music that should ever go with snuff films it's that music and like that guy that just goes to show his range that guy that composed both of those because they're both opposite ends of the spectrum i feel like as far as music goes in a movie so that's why i picked hellraiser definitely because that movie's awesome anyway so yeah, but Hellraiser music is awesome, but yeah, I, I like that you included Sinister there because I remember the music that you're talking about for those snuff films, particularly the one, again, another insane jump scare that got me good. It obviously gets Ethan Hawke very good, his character, when he's watching it, but the lawnmower part with that oh. that uh, needle drop that they have before that happens, that, that, was, uh, that caught me off guard. That got me pretty good. Shano, want to go for another one? Yeah, I know it's kind of kind of cheesy to pick, you know, your your favorite horror movie, but uh, I think the opening, the title sequence for Alien is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it is awesome. It's not it's not scary. It's just it's just wide open and just beautiful. I I don't even know how else to describe it. It's just it's just a really beautiful, beautifully composed um, song. Yeah. I, I love the music in Alien as well. And so one so uh I actually recently had replayed uh Alien Isolation. You ever play that, Shano? Or I'm sure you've probably heard of it as a huge fan of Alien. No, I haven't played it. I've I've been planning on getting it. <laughs> it's it's pretty cheap now, but uh It is, yeah, because it's a few years old. 
I don't really have a lot of time to uh, to play video games, so I haven't. I know you got the little ones, but but, um, understandable. I'm not a huge fan of the sneaking around type video games, you know, like Assassin's Creed and stuff where you kind of have to like be hiding in the corners and stuff. I'm not crazy. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. I'm not big on video games in general. But those yeah. those types of games, I don't really have the patience for. So sure. um, I, I feel like I, I would understand. love it because of the theming. And, you know, it's on the Nostromo, right? Is it? So basically it's, it's so the reason I brought it up is because the music from Alien is used and it kind of holds on to that like analog future type of vibe. But it's so yeah, it's essentially it is set, I think, 10 years after the first movie. And you play as Ripley's daughter, Amanda. Amanda Ripley. And yeah, yeah so you, there's this. It. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this, there's this big space station called the Sevastopol that finds the flight recorder for the Nostromo. So basically, Ripley works for Waylon Yutani and is sent to go recover the flight recorder with some other people from the company. And uh, they get on the ship, and shit has gone crazy, and there is an alien stalking you the entire time. But it's, uh, it is incredibly scary. Uh, mm-hmm fun to play i can understand why you might not want to play it but i uh i enjoyed it but yeah it holds on to that same aesthetic from the first movie and the music is in there too which is is beautiful for sure i I love that i love that uh that score i just think it's gorgeous yeah it's a good one it's a good one for sure all right so alien excellent i'm glad we uh we got a chance to talk about that one so i'll I'll go next here i'll uh i'll throw a curveball here one that probably you guys didn't think I might include Andrew and Cat. I thought you might have this on your list, Cat, but I didn't see it in your notes earlier. But uh, the music from Saw is pretty iconic. Yeah, I oh. was here for that too, but I I didn't. Yeah, so yeah, honestly, it's very similar to that. But yeah, so Charlie Clauser uh, wrote all the music for the first Saw movie, and actually, he used to play synthesizers for Nine Inch Nails. Oh, so. You know, he kind of has that industrial music vibe. But, you know, when I think about Saw, the music is one of the first things I think about, Uh, especially in in the first movie. There's one song specifically. It's called Hello, Zep. Obviously, if you are familiar with the movie, you know uh, what part this this particular piece of music kicks in. But it has been used in all eight Saw films. And it will probably be in the upcoming new one. Jesus, there's going to be a ninth Saw film. It's so many. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's kind of that piece of music has kind of become synonymous with that crazy twist ending of the first movie where Adam just kind of finally puts everything together. And then you have John Kramer standing up in the middle of the room. Spoiler alert. But I mean, if you haven't seen Saw, I don't know what the fuck to tell you, you know, slams the door. End of movie. Uh, But I thought that that was a, a very iconic piece of music that just kind of, you know, there's something to be said for that movie when you see it for the first time and you finally figure out what's going on. And I feel like that movie enhances the feel of that particular scene in, in a, in an awesome way. So yeah, I had saw for one of mine. I like it, Mike. Off the cool. Rail. Was a good pick. I got a, I got a couple more I could talk about. Do you guys have any more? I know you said, cat, you said you had a bonus, right? Yeah, my bonus, which I, it's kind of funny cause I don't actually think I've seen this movie. I may, um, but I couldn't really pass up. I was looking at different like scores today and kind of researching different things. But the composer caught my eye because he was one of my atonal guys when I was doing my thesis was uh, Candyman. So Philip Glass was the composer for this um, soundtrack, and I did actually listen to a lot of the soundtrack. Uh, sorry, the score today, and um, it's a very creepy mix of like an organ uh, chanting. There's like this wistful piano and I would never pass up the opportunity to say glockenspiel. Nice. So 
<laughs> so yeah, Candyman was my bonus. Glockenspiel is a very funny word to say, so I, I don't begrudge you for passing an opportunity to say that word and talk yeah. about Candyman. Candyman's a good one for sure. Cat, like you like that movie? Yeah, Cat? I can't say I remember the music. I don't think I've seen it. I don't remember. If I have, it's been like a, a very long time. It's I've seen so many movies. I'm just like I, I. They are in and out. Like I don't remember. They're in and out like the brain cells in your head. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else get another one they want to cover? Andrew? Yeah, I was, was going to say uh, Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very iconic. Yeah. I got a uh, one more, too. I don't know. I'm surprised no one brought it up yet. Go with the chlorophyll, my friend. From us. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Manipulate. Um, I got five on it throughout that. It's so good. Like the scene when she's down in the tunnels or where, wherever she is and they're having their little battle with her doppelganger there. It's like, it's so good. I love that. I don't know if you guys know. Which so part. cool. That movie, I had to watch that movie like four times before I started to understand it. I still don't oh. fully understand all of the, everything with it. It's that movie is crazy. <laughs> I love it. I actually think I like it. I might even like it better than Get Out. Oh, it's way better than Get Out. Yeah, Jordan Peele's awesome. His movies are great. He's another guy that's just so it's so exciting to see what he's going to bring because I mean he just hit two absolute home runs with those first two movies that he did. So, yeah, good call on Get Out, Cat. I'm actually surprised. Or excuse me, on us, Uh, Cat. I'm surprised you didn't bring that one up because I know you love. I got five on it. I do. I really like that. Yeah. That's a great scene too uh, in the car in the, when they're driving yeah. the car. Song oh out. yeah, yeah, really, really well done scene. Absolutely. So uh, in the comments here, by uh, our friend Anthony Landry, your ears must have been ringing, my friend, because one of one of the things that I had, if we had a little extra time, was going to be uh, the thing, which uh, we obviously we covered the thing in a recent episode. But one of my all time favorite horror movies, and the score is done by Ennio Morricone, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's an Italian composer. I uh, did a lot of spaghetti westerns, but the it's so minimalist, but so great. And it just builds an insane sense of dread. Adds to that feeling of isolation, being at that outpost in Antarctica. And specifically, you know, there's the most famous songs uh, called Humanity, parts one and two. Part one is what plays over the opening title credits when you see the uh, the, uh, the spaceship kind of crashing in Antarctica. But the part two is when you get that dun-dun. And it just is very, very low, very minimalist, like I said. But it's just it's a phenomenal score. And, you know, The Thing is a movie that I, you know, will talk about given any opportunity to do so. So that's one that I had. Anyone else? Right on. Cool. Um, did you did did you miss the question about the uh, do you prefer scores or soundtracks? Did we did, did we not get there yet? Well, I feel like we kind of covered that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. So we 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 can we can do that one. Yeah, you can you can start. So like yeah. So do you prefer because this we're, we're we're about to roll into you know a different section of this. So not specifically scores, but you know if you have a favorite horror soundtrack which i have a i have a couple that we could talk about here but yeah so cat what do you prefer do you prefer the scores the soundtracks what do you like i think i like the scores except for like obviously the the example for us with i got five on it is a different type of way that they play with a A soundtrack versus a yeah versus a score but i think i think scores are just kind of more creative and it's so funny because i feel like you know back in the day like so many artists used to actually 
record songs for movies. And I forget that because I'm, I feel like now it's not, it's, it, they kind of do, but not as much. You don't see it as much. Like even in the, um, like Twister, like Twister, half the movies in there, they recorded for Twister. And I was like, yeah. really? Like fun fact about the Twister soundtrack, uh, humans being by Van Halen. Right. The last, the last song they actually recorded together as a band, Van Hagar, they broke up shortly after. And it, uh, was a direct result of that song. There was some disagreement uh, and infighting in the band between how that song should have been written, which I think that song is great. But uh, yeah, actually, Twister has an awesome soundtrack. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's kind of backwards now. I feel like like a lot of directors just pick sound, like pick songs to go with movies instead of creating songs for movies. Yeah, it's it's rare. It's definitely rare when you get a when you get uh, songs that are recorded specifically for movies nowadays. Yeah. But. Uh, Shauna, what about you? You have a preference between scores and/or soundtracks. So yeah, I, I kind of have a pretty strong opinion about this. I, I I prefer movies to have a really good score. I think it really it it, it adds to the, the piece of artwork that a film is to have a good score that that matches up with it. But I think if you can pull off use having a soundtrack, having songs that are actually songs. Um, it, if you can pull it off and you got the right genre and you got the right feel for your movie, it's really super effective. And my favorite example of this is American Werewolf in London. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Soundtrack. And we've, we have talked about this on You're Not Listening on our, on our first Halloween episode. Um, what's really cool about American Werewolf in London is all the songs in it. Um, it's funny, they didn't even use the, the, the song Werewolves in London. Which I know, that we talked about that on our, our American Werewolf one episode too, yeah. yeah. All of the songs have to do with the moon they have something to do with the moon moon yep. dance bad moon rising uh blue moon it's all moon themed songs every song in that on that soundtrack which is super cool that he chose to do that and the, they the, where they place those songs in the movie are damn near perfect I, I i told my dad i think the scene where he's like in the in the, the nurse's flat and he's bored and they're playing bad moon rising right before he right before he changes for the first time I think that's a near perfect scene. I just think it's just done so well. And that song is so perfect for that. And it, it's funny and it, it, it just works really well. So if you can have the right feel for your movie, the right genre where it's kind of like horror comedy, if it works or, you know, if, if you can work in a soundtrack that works really well, then it's super effective. A lot of times in these lower budget horror, horror movies, they'll do that. They'll use like indie artists and they'll put in like some heavy metal songs and stuff because it's like they're trying to cram this like tough dark death metal type feeling and it just feels so cheap and it just it just does not work um but some movies do it really well i mean rob zombie does does a pretty good job in some of his films of, of adding adding a soundtrack but if you can do it right it's really good but i i definitely prefer scores that's the long long story long yeah, no, I, I agree with, so I'm actually not even a huge fan of Zombies films, but I am a fan of his music, and he does strike a good balance. But I think that that was very well said. I, I am uh, inclined to agree with you there, that I think scores are more important, but if you can find that good balance of, you know, songs and score, I, I think that's a, a huge element to any successful film. Yeah, and Andrew, the other thing is, it, it, when, so, when films that have generally have like a, a really good score or they don't have a lot of songs, but they incorporate some songs, like like I Got Five on it, uh, in Us, and, and a lot of times 
some of the, these really creepy movies they're using really old songs for example in insidious they use uh what's that creepy song in insidious um that was a real song back in the day like that that was a song yeah and it's now when you listen to it it's so freaking creepy uh, it is so perfect. scary it's so perfect for that scene with the lipstick phase demon when he's in there he's doing his little sewing machine whatever he's doing oh it's yeah like, it's, it's perfect for that scene it works so well and it's so creepy so yeah like, if you can choose the right song and put it in in the right place you'll nail it but it's not easy to do or like Mr. Sandman on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that's another good one. Excellent points. Andrew, what about you? Do you have a preference? Um, I prefer, for as far as horror movies go, it's a score. You, yeah. Soundtracks, yeah. I feel like, are fine for like comedies and stuff like that. Rom-coms and just in general, because it's you're not expecting this theatrical explosion of you know, art and music and cinematography. Like, I feel like the best compliment to a good visual effect is something made just for that reason, just for that. Like, my biggest thing, it's not even a horror movie, but I always go back to Interstellar because I fucking love that movie. And that score by Hans Zimmer evokes such emotion from me when I'm watching that movie that it makes that movie a lot more dramatic than it probably really is. And I feel like if you can do that with music and involve it in a movie and give it that other depth or layer to it, then it just drives it drives home the point that the filmmaker wants to make even more so than you could with any soundtrack or by, you know, just picking, you know, 10 songs that you like and putting them in a movie. It just makes a huge difference if you're able to do that. And that's, I mean, yeah, I know you love Interstellar. I, I feel a similar way about the Inception uh, sound, score that Hans Zimmer wrote. Inception is very, very powerful music. I think it's awesome. That that time song, awesome. Gives me gives me chills. Yeah, douche chills. Love yeah, douche chills. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about soundtracks here, Kat, because I know you have some good ones here for this. So obviously very stark difference between the two I, I do agree i think we're all in agreement that scores are probably more important if you're looking for horror it looks like some of uh the people watching agree with us as well anthony uh a score is the ultimate concept album the evolution of soundtracks have uh, led to them being a direct marketing piece as opposed to complementing a film extremely well said but cat i know you have a soundtrack now i feel like back in like the 90s and the early 2000s a lot of horror movies we're doing the thing, Kat, like you said, where people were writing songs specifically for a particular movie. And there's you know, there's something special about that. Kat, what one did you have? What, what made your list for this? Oh, so this is kind of out of left field, but this uh, CD never left my car was House of Wax 2005. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there's Disturbed, Deftones, Manson's on there. I mean, I would blast that cd in my car almost all the time because the bass in it was awesome but i mean all this like every single song was great i just i loved it it was great i mean the movie was okay i mean <laughs> i mean yeah not a classic who doesn't want to watch paris hilton get murdered but i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
But it was <laughs> apparently <awesome>. you do. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that I remember from that movie is the scene where someone reaches up from the floor and cuts the Achilles of someone. Oh, that is literally the only thing that I remember from that movie that stuck with me. I, I felt that. Ugh. Oh yeah. 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 That, was, that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good soundtrack though. I, I looked it up today when, when you sent it over to me and that's, that's some, that's some good tunes. Good. Oh, tunes. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Queen of the damned. That movie, not a great movie, but the soundtrack's friggin' awesome. Uh, I think Jonathan Davis from Corn wrote a lot of that. If I if I can find my my notes here, yeah. Oh, so yeah, that one had uh, a lot of similar artists, but then a lot of that like you know late '90s, early 2000s new metal. Uh, but you know, Deftones, nice. I love. They're my favorite band. Deftones, Corn, Static <laughs> X, Papa Roach, Lincoln Park, Manson, Disturbed, wow, and no. Queen of the Damned. So, wow. Give you another one though. I think this soundtrack holds up extremely well, even to this day. And, you know, probably not a horror movie. I would say it's probably horror adjacent and has some some scary elements to it. And it's just a fucking awesome movie. And that is The Crow. And obviously, uh, you know, famous for some darker reasons. Obviously, what happened uh, to Brandon Lee was terrible. And uh, there's actually an awesome episode of... Oh shit, Cat! What was the name of that? Sh- uh, Cursed Films. Cursed Films. It's a little documentary series on Shutter that we watch, and there's an episode on the Crow with what happened to Brandon Lee, and it's just—it's such a sad story. It sucks, but it's a good movie. But the soundtrack is phenomenal. It has Nine Inch Nails covering Dead Souls, uh, has Burn by The Cure, which is an awesome song. Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots, and you also have some songs from Rage Against the Machine, Violent Femmes, Helmet, Pantera, Jesus and Mary Chain. So. Uh, that is an awesome soundtrack that I still listen to to this day. The Crow. That is an awesome one. Uh, Sean, are you got one? I'm looking at my my stack of DVDs over here to see if I can get anything <laughs> out. Um, you can come back to you if you want. Sean, I love your little gremlin. Your little gizmo over there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, no. Andrew, I, anything I, I mean, my big one is is American Werewolf because it, it's such oh, an yeah. it's such an you extensive that. soundtrack. But you know, there's some. I just had one. Uh, Zombieland, I think, had some songs in there. Zombieland is definitely Lost a good Boys. one. Lost Boys is the one I was thinking of. Lost Boys has some pretty crazy. Yeah, I forgot about Lost Boys. That's a good one too. Yeah. Andrew, anything stick out to you? Uh, Soundtracks. I, I. With us, it was kind of that. Um, I was trying to, I couldn't think of any too, I, I didn't really get into it too deep, so I didn't really. All right. If it's hard because a lot of the horror movies with like actual soundtracks are just not I great. Like, I don't know if it's in any yeah. horror movies, but it should be, is Lullaby by um, The Cure. I love that song. Yeah, I love The Cure in general, so give me give me The Cure in any movie. It, it brings it up a level for me, so. Another All right. one actually th- throw in there again, uh, more horror adjacent. It's not really horror. It's a little bit more kind of cerebral is, is Donnie Darko. Um, really yeah. It's funny you bring that up. We were actually talking about Donnie Darko last week or the week before because they were talking about potentially doing a sequel to it all these years later. Apparently there's I'd been some it. talks of a Donnie Darko sequel. Yeah, I'd check it out. Don't ruin it. I know. Don't ruin it, please. Just don't ruin it. Hopefully, it's a good idea. Can I give you? Uh, can I give you guys one more score that I just remembered that I had in my list that we didn't? Nobody brought up that I think is particularly memorable. Sure. Uh, Twenty-eight days later. Oh man! How did Twenty-eight I days later has awesome music. I specifically had. Bargain, love that. 
Yeah, so there's a song on there called In the House in a Heartbeat written by John Murphy. And this is the scene most famous in the movie where uh, Jim, who's played by Killian Murphy, is you know kind of turned into this feral, uh, psychotic, animalistic mental case. And he's running around that house, killing all the soldiers, trying to save uh, the, the two girls that are in the house. And you know, there's that crazy eye gouging scene. But that piece of music is awesome. And that whole soundtrack, I just feel like does a really good job of adding to the emptiness of that movie and just kind of makes it feel a little bit more lived in and realistic. Like I also specifically remember like the scene when they're uh, going grocery shopping, like through that abandoned grocery store, there's like some little weird music that's in there, but the, the music in that, in that movie uh, stuck with me as well. So yeah, that's a 28 days later is a phenomenal movie all around, but I think the music in that is, is a high point as well. The music in the grocery store is like happy. Yes, it's a nice contrast to the dark yeah, I nature. I love movie. when movies do that. Yeah, um, we we could do this all night. The last one I'm going to throw out there is the dance club scene from Blade or Blade Two, maybe in the beginning of Blade Two. Oh, that's a deep cut. I like that one. I haven't seen Blade Two in forever. That's what, is that the one with Ryan Reynolds or Jessica Biel or is, it, is that Blade, Blade Trinity? That's Blade, third Blade one, right? Two in the beginning of the movie when they're in a it's it's like a vampire dance club and the sprinklers start shooting blood out. Over the place. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Whatever song is playing during that scene is an absolute banger. Just throwing it. Okay, up. I'll have to look that one up. I don't know okay. what it is off the top of my head, but definitely. All right, guys. Well, I think we think we covered some good stuff, and I know we're we're over the hour time period here, so we should probably wrap this up a little bit. But uh, anyone else have any final thoughts on anything? Anything they want to add before we kind of we we put a bow on this bitch? Wrap that. Bow I just. Tight. I think I. Pretty, I mean, I'm. I got nothing. Okay, Sean. Sean, I'll go ahead. I just want to say, my show is called "You're Not Listening" because our whole theory is people hear music but they don't listen to it. And so, for the audience of this show, I would really just urge everyone: when you're watching a movie, when you're taking in a good horror movie that you either have seen a million times or you're seeing for the first time, try to pay attention to the music because. I think you'll get a whole lot more out of the movie if you are actively listening to everything that's happening, not just the dialogue, not just the the sound sound production, sound design, but the music as well um, is is a huge part of horror cinema, um, it, bigger than almost any other genre out there of film. And I really want to encourage your listeners to really try to actively listen to music when you're watching these movies. It's not something you normally think of. So that's that's where I come from. That's the world I live in. So. Just wanted to get that out there. It's an excellent point. And actually, I, I like that you have that line that you say at the beginning of every episode. Uh, you know, if you haven't heard of these songs or if you don't like these songs, then you're not listening and you tie in the, the name of your show. I think that's a great way of of getting the point of your show across at the beginning of everything. I like that. I like that you guys do that. It's a very good point. Thank you. You're welcome, man. So, Shano, I guess, um, you know, if people want to follow your shows, social media, et cetera, where can they find you? Plug away, my friend. For sure. We are on social media. Um, we are on Instagram and Twitter at YNL podcast. YNL stands for you're not listening. And if you can find us on Facebook, we're just the name of the show. You're not listening a music podcast. Uh, if you want to email us directly, you can email us at not listening pod at gmail.com and search for us on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, where podcasts are podcasts. We are there. Subscribe, rate, review, leave a, leave us a note. And uh, check it out. 
I would highly encourage that you guys go and do that. Check out Shano's show. It is phenomenal. And uh, yeah, I would say that's a great point. We don't, we, I, I, I always forget to bring it up at the end of our shows, but reviews are probably one of the best things you can do for any podcast. So I would say if you have time to drop us a review on iTunes or wherever it is, or uh, drop a review for you're not listening anywhere that you can review us, it would go a long way. But uh, here's where you can find us on social media. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. Just go on there and search for America's Hometown Horror. And you can tweet at us, at Hometown Horror. And you can uh, find us on Instagram, at Hometown Horror Pod. And you can also drop us a line at hometownhorrorpodcast at gmail.com. And as Shano said, you can pretty much find our show anywhere where podcasts are found, specifically Google, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Amazon Music, you know, wherever else, wherever, whatever other 10 million podcast platforms around, they were probably on there. So go on there, give us a follow, give us a listen. Thanks again for tuning into the very first ever live episode of America's Hometown Horror. Uh, I think it came out pretty great and I'm happy with uh, everything that we discussed. I think this is a lot of fun, good topic. And Shano, thanks again for hopping on, man. Love to collaborate with you again sometime soon. Thanks for having me. Let me know when you're starting to gear up for Alien Day because I'm on board for that. Yeah, that's definitely going to have to happen. So that'll be in that'll be in April, and we'll uh, we'll get you back on. And hey, I'd love to I'd love to talk some music with you on your show too. So we'll talk. We'll talk. Absolutely, man. All right, folks. Thank you, Cat. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to everyone who watched live and commented. Say goodbye to your listeners, folks. Give them a nice wave, huh? Bye. Bye, Bye Shano. It was good to see you. Nice meeting you, Shano. Bye, guys. Good to see you too. Thanks for having.